the story begins. Welcome. Hello. Okay, hello. How are you, Rabbi? Doing good. Hello. So we, we have John, Mike, David here on the air. It's the men's club. Gotta mention that I'm virtual. We have John virtually. Okay, so we're in the middle of chapter 23, page 260. So what's going on? What's going on? Well, there's a lot of discussion. It's really kind of hard to, uh, for me to get my head completely wrapped around as of yet, but mm -hmm. about the, about how uh, studying Torah, the immer immersing yourself in the study of Torah is a, uh, is a way to have a, a, a complete, unhidden, unmasked connection with Hashem. Okay. Um, whereas when you're doing a mitzvah, it's really not quite the same in like, in that, uh, there's, there's some less than perfect connection, but it's still a connection, but it, it's, it's not as pure as, as when you're actually studying Torah. Okay. Very good. So there's a difference in connection, a difference in revelation when, uh, between a mitzvah and between Torah study. When we do a mitzvah, we gave the example of a limb, right? A limb is a receptacle. Pronouncing it right? Receptacle. Re receptacle is there to receive the soul. The body is there. To, the body receives the soul. When you look at a person, what you're not seeing, you don't say, you, "Here's a corpse. Here's a body." Right? We don't do body counts. We do people counts. Which might be one of the reasons, by the way, why in Judaism we're not supposed to count people. Right? When Moses was counting the Jewish people, he collected a half shekel from each person and counted the, the half shekel. And, and the commentaries and Rashi and the Talmud explained that he didn't want to count people. Because we're not looking at bodies, we're looking at, at something deeper. We're not just numbers. We're not just a corpse. When there's no soul, we call it a corpse, we call it a body. But when there's a soul, we're calling it a person. And just as a body is there, a body is not just meat. There's a soul to it. A mitzvah is not just a random act of behavior, a ritual, a tradition. But there's actually deep significance to it. It's not just tradition. It's not just... What's the other word? I forgot what the other word is. I have it in my notes somewhere. <laughs> We say that we're counting souls. Counting souls works. It, it, it's not just tra tradition, it's not just cultural. I don't know why I had to look that up. But <laughs> <laughs> Have some more to drink, Rabbi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not just traditional, it's not just cultural. There's actually, it's, re it's revealing God in this world, which is why we exist. And by the way, that's why mitzvahs are adoptional. Hmm? That's why mitzvahs are not optional. Right? Turkey on Thanksgiving is a beautiful tradition, and it's remembering our freedom and the beauty of this country, but it's optional. If you're vegan, if you're vegetarian, nobody's going to give you dirty looks for not eating the turkey. Just like having an etrog around the house all weeks of the year except sukkahs. Exactly, exactly. On sukkahs, the etrog and the lulav, holding them together, making the plus, it's not optional. 
because God needs that. God needs to reveal Himself into this world through that lulav, through that esrim. And that's the case with every mitzvah. Every mitzvah is a body to a soul. Now, in contrast, the study of Torah. Now, study of Torah is considered a mitzvah, so you had that component of it. There's a mitzvah to study Torah, so now when you study Torah, that's the body to a deeper soul. But when you study Torah, there's also a deeper connection that takes place within our own souls. And, and the Tanya here makes a shift in our understanding of what Torah study is. So we have BT and we have AT again, right? Before Tanya. Before Tanya. And after Tanya. And after Tanya. And the reason why I say that, by the way, is because I'm kind of revealing one of the magic, magical tricks of teaching. Ooh, there's magic behind teaching. There's magic behind teaching. Whenever you teach anything, what we're trying to convey is what is different before I learned this in my perception, what is different after. What is, right? Usually we do that without exposing the magic behind that, but why not? I thought it was just telling but the we jokes. Did in exactly. The light class, <laughs> they had that chart to look at before and at the end of the class. Exactly, exactly. There has to be some. There's a shift. Whenever we're learning something, there's some sort of shift. It's not just collect. We're not just collecting data here, but there's a. Especially with Tanya, there's a shift in perception, and Tanya here is shifting our perception, shifting our understanding of what Torah is. In last week's, or two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, our class, we had a shift in our understanding of mitzvahs. It's not just cultural observances, but it's actually a body to a soul that brings God in this world. Now, Torah is not just instruction. Before Tanya, we understood Torah as instruction, how to do mitzvahs. And that is 100% true. I'm not here to negate that. Torah is there to explain how to do a mitzvah. But Torah is deeper than that. Torah is a deep connection within itself. In other words, Torah is not just to instruct us how to perform God's will. The Torah itself is His will. So when you do a mitzvah, you did what God wants. But when you study Torah, you actually have what He wants in your brain. So You, is it, you connect is it... with what He wants. So is it, is it like, uh, you could say a, a mitzvah is one, well, small is not the word I'm necessarily looking for, but one distinct connection with Hashem when the performing of that mitzvah, um, whereas when you're studying Torah, you're, you're getting all of Hashem at that point. Not, not just necessarily like a particular connection for the mitzvah at hand but studying Torah you're you're getting all of Hashem at that at that time kind of the, the way he actually spells it out here where is it well starts talking about like when when you're um, when you're doing a mitzvah the, the garment of action is involved but when you're when you're studying Torah, the 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 the, uh, the the garments of 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 thought and speech, which are at a higher level, are engaged. Yeah, exactly. In other words, hmm. what is more you? What you do or how you think? If I make fun of something you did, if I if, if I offended your behavior, 
you'll get over it. Because at the end of the day, you walk away and you did it in the past. But if I offend how you think, that's going to hurt. It's a lot more hurtful. It's a lot harder to forgive. It's a lot harder to get over that. Why? Because it's, it's more who you are. It's more who you are. So was it in here that I was reading that it said what's more important to do mitzvahs or to study Torah? Was it, it was in here, right? Yeah, yeah. It, and it said studying Torah is more important than doing mitzvahs if there's someone else to do the mitzvah. Good, 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 good. So let's take a look at text uh, three on our sheets here. Or without, did I read it on your sheet? Oh, maybe that's where you read it. Yeah, I, maybe that's where <laughs> I, I read say, it. I was going to say, say your comment again? Oh, just... I think it's on the sheet. Okay, because I didn't... I think that's where I read it. I, I was looking for it in here. And that's funny. I had gone looked at your... You that's funny. Okay, so you know, you'll be our volunteer to read text number three. An excerpt from I, the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law. You have it, John? Yes. Okay. Uh, Torah study is equal to all of the yeah. mitzvahs. If one has an opportunity to perform a mitzvah or study Torah... If the mitzvah can be performed by someone else, do not stop your studies. If, however, no one else can perform that mitzvah, then perform the mitzvah and return to your studies. Okay. I knew it. I seen it recently. <laughs> <laughs> there, there. there we go. Because the reason why is because the, the connection is more not something you're doing; it's who you are. It would be the difference between. Listening to your spouse, following your spouse's instruction, to being intimate with your spouse. Those are both important, and they're both necessary. Or maybe appreciating what your, why your spouse wants you to do. Yeah. To do this, right? But, 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 but so t- Torah is like us being intimate with God. Hmm. When God gave the Torah Mount Sinai, classic Jewish literature throughout the Talmud and really starting with King Solomon compares the relationship of God and the Jewish people to that of a husband and wife, right? The book Song of Songs by King Solomon in the Bible is all one big love story depicting the love, the marital relationship that we share with God, which started under the marriage canopy, which was the giving of the Torah. And in Hasidic literature and other places, not in Tanya so much, but in other places it explains that a husband is intimate with his wife. He's giving something to his wife. What's he giving? Himself. Himself. So, you know, a husband and a teacher, they're both givers, right? A husband will give to his wife, a teacher to a student, but the, 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 the way they give are very different. A teacher is giving an idea. Merely just sharing what's on his mind. Something that he has. The outcome, somebody else has an idea. There's no real outcome. A husband is not sharing something that he has, something on his mind. He's sharing who he is. That is true emotionally. That is true intellectually. It's true biologically. He's sharing who he is, and that's why the outcome is an independent existence. Not just a new idea, or not just transferring an idea, but 
the creation of a new existence that can think of ideas independently, a human being, a person, a carbon copy of that husband and wife. A husband is not just giving an idea, is giving himself. When God gave us the Torah, it's just like that biological union. God is giving us not just ideas, the Torah. The Torah is a manifestation of himself. He's giving himself to us. He's giving him. So when we study Torah, we're being intimate with him and we're getting him. When we do mitzvahs, it's like listening to our spouse, following our spouse's desires and instruction, which is deep, meaningful, and very important. But when we study Torah, we're actually being intimate with our spouse, with God. And, and as he says here on page 262, what? 262, the second paragraph. And this is the meaning the second paragraph, and this is the meaning of the statement from the Zohar which began this chapter. The Torah and God are totally one. In contrast to mitzvahs, right? The statement totally one means to say that the laws and texts of the Torah are not merely organs of the king. It's not just like a body to a soul. We're not just containing God through Torah. We are cleaving to him through Torah. We're actually one with him through Torah. Whereas a mitzvah is just like a body to a soul. At the end of the day, it's two separate in, uh, entities. At some point, the soul leaves, the body dies. It's not. It's, it's almost always an activity, right? Or is it? Yes, it's almost always an activity. Um, to say a prayer, well, it transcends being an activity. Well, it's verbal. It has to be verbally articulated. So that's an activity. Yeah. The, the only time it's really not an activity is probably the mitzvah to love God or love your fellow. It's more of an emotion. Or the mitzvah not to be jealous. <clears throat> or th There are emotional mitzvahs. Hmm. There's a book authored in, I don't know the, I don't know the year, but in, around the time of Rashi, Rambam, Maimonides, called Chovot Haldavavot, Duties of the Heart. You know, you have the code of Jewish law explaining the observances, the actions, and this is almost like the code of law explaining the duties of the heart, the emotional side of Judaism, which is kind of what Tanya is also. There was once a couple going through a rough, a rough patch in their marriage, and so they go to a, a therapist, a marriage therapist, a counselor, the therapist looks at the husband and says, I hear you don't, I've, I heard that you don't buy her flowers. He says, to be honest with you, I didn't know she sold flowers. <laughs> say that say the end again. I'm sorry. Said, to be honest with you, I didn't know she sold flowers. Oh. <laughs> Needless to say, they all walked out laughing. No. <laughs> So the, the Torah and mitzvahs there are both relationships with God. They're both very important relationships. They're both very, they're both necessary relationships, but they're very different relationships. It's the difference between listening to your spouse, following her desires, instructions, to actually being intimate with your spouse. The Torah is a much deeper connection. And that's why, by the way, let's take a look at our text here. Back to our sheets. Text one. An excerpt from the prophet Isaiah. God says, I have put my words in your mouth. 
and sheltered you with my hand. My words referring to the Torah. And the commentaries explain, and actually, some there's actually a, a little bit of a debate amongst the commentaries how this is understood. Some say it refers to prophecy, but many of the commentaries learn that it's actually referring to Torah itself. I put the Torah in your mouth and sheltered you. It's a form of protection. The author of the Tanya, the Altered Edmund, not in Tanya, but actually in one of his other books called Torah Or, and this is quoted in text 2, explains this verse. And this is what he says. He says, when it says my words, it's literal. God is not just sharing an idea, but he literally put his words, extra focus, extra emphasis on the word my. Because God's word, namely halacha, is revealed within his utterance. When we utter halacha, what we're uttering is really God's word. It's really him. What is the translation for halacha? Um, Jewish law. But as we see later or earlier in this chapter, it's not limited to Jewish law, but Torah in general. Um, it is a manifestation of God, but it's not just like a body containing a soul, God. It's actually, it's him. It's really him. So let me ask you about halacha for a minute. Mm -hmm. So does it have to be something which is stated in the Torah to be halacha? For instance, keeping kosher, keeping plates separately is a rule, you know, for meat and milk, right? But that's not halacha, right? So, how, so, so part of that question I'll add to is, is, is halacha defined by what you would read out of the Shulchan Aram? Or it's, the halacha really came from the Torah, the Shulchan Aram is just a further explanation of it. Elucidation, yeah. Okay. Or clarification. Or, oral, oral Torah. In other words, God gave the Torah on Mount Sinai, from Mount Sinai, you know, the written Torah, and he explained it. Because nothing in the Torah is clear. You know, it says, put a sign on your arm, an ornament between your eyes. What does that mean? So there has to be an or there's an oral explanation. This means tefillin. This is how you make the tefillin. This is how you write the tefillin. This is how you put on the tefillin. And this is all trans uh, um, passed down orally. As we were exiled and people had less time to study and retain information, they collected different notes and stuff and they put together the Mishnah, which was basically a summary bullet points of the law. Of the laws. This is how you make tefillin, but but it was really it was very um, brief, not in depth at all. So now the next generation comes and read. Now when you read your notes, you know I read my notes right now. It's just bullet points. Um, but if I come back in ten years and read my notes, I'm gonna like what what are those what is that talk? Or if somebody else is gonna read my notes, what is he what is that saying? Right. You know I could read and translate the words, but what does it mean? So you start discussing these bullet points, you start discussing the notes, elaborating, analyzing, that's the Talmud, analyzing the Mishnah, understanding the oral law. The Shulchan Aruch, the code of Jewish law, takes the laws and conclusions from the Talmud and clarifies it in an organized manner. Because if you want to know the laws of Tefillin, you have to read this discussion in the Talmud, but you don't have the full picture because there's another discussion somewhere else and it's all over the place. So the Shulchan Aruch, the code of Jewish law, and similar to Maimonides' compendium, clarifies everything in a, in a clear in a clear way. But halacha means Jewish law. Some of Jewish law is more explicit than others, but in general, the point is that when we study Torah, 
we're actually getting God himself. And that's why, by the way, going back to this Jewish law, to this halacha, if you have a chance to do a mitzvah or if you have a chance to study Torah, you study Torah, if that mitzvah can be done through others. So tefillin can't be done through others, right? You have to put on tefillin. So we put on tefillin even at the expense of Torah study. Because both sides of the relationship are important. But if somebody, you know, if the old lady needs help crossing the street, we have to stop and help her. But if somebody else is doing it, we don't need to stop Torah to do that. This applies to even parts of Torah that are not relevant to actual observance. You have many mitzvahs that don't apply. You have much of Torah that is irrelevant to, to practical application. Dimensions of the uh, of the temple. Yeah, great example. The dimensions of the temple is it, exactly, and it, these things are not relevant to to here and right now. They will be one day, by the way. So, so I mean, that 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 example. What what is the mitzvah regarding the dimensions? I mean, you're supposed to build it a certain way. Well, studying studying the laws of the Beit HaMikdash and all these different things, and, and studying the dimensions, there's all tracted on the dimensions. Okay, the studying that. Studying that, But the yeah. dimensions themselves, there's, there's, I mean, they are what they are. Well, how do you know what they are? Well, because well, the, the Torah says so. So there's a whole tractate discussing the structure of the Beit HaMikdash. Now, the truth is these can be relevant because Mashiach is going to come and we're going to have to rebuild. And you actually do have yeshivas dedicated to studying these things that are, you know, there's schools that are, people are becoming experts in how to do the korbanot, how to do the offerings, because Mashiach is going to come any day. If you go to Israel, there's a place called the Temple Institute, and they have an altar. And as soon as Mashiach comes, they're ready to schlep that altar and get moving, and they're studying the laws and stuff. But you have, you have certain things that are not relevant. The, um, certain aspects of purity and impurity. You have a lot of parts of Torah that just don't matter. You know, the wayward son. Hmm? The wayward son discussed in the Torah. Or, or just different ideas in Torah. All these things don't matter when it comes to practical application, when it comes to practice. The laws of tefillin matter. I need to know how to put on tefillin, right? How about the dimensions of the ark? We're not going to build another ark. Unless it's for tourists for Tourist purposes. Tourist purposes. There we go. Economy. Somebody built it. <laughs> you know, there is a big um, Is there? Yeah. Just a quick aside question, but Psalm um, 100, there's a note that says, the psalm also refers to the Thanksgiving sacrifice, only sacrifice be offered in the Messianic era. So. No, no. There's, there's When Mashiach comes, a lot of the things will be relevant, but there are certain things that will be irrelevant even when Mashiach comes. And so... Um, you know, the laws of impurity, we're going to have, we're going to be living. So impurity that comes from a dead person won't exist, right? Just for example, um, the laws of war, there's not going to be war when Mashiach comes. And the laws of war don't strictly apply now because we don't have the, the great Sanhedrin, the great rabbinical court as we did in Jerusalem. So there's certain laws that don't apply. There's certain, yet we still study them. And we would study them even at the expense of a mitzvah if that mitzvah can be performed by someone else. And the reason is because Torah is not just mere instruction. It itself is intimacy with God. It's a relationship with God. 
And that's why you can study an entire page of Talmud in depth, reach zero conclusion, because you read a bunch of opinions, and you don't know what to do, and you still had this intimacy with God, you still had this relationship with God. So, is there a minimum amount of Torah you're supposed to study per day? Very good question. Like because what if you say, I'm not going to do it anymore, I'm going to study Torah from the time I wake up till the time I go to sleep, I'm not going to wash my hands, I'm not going to... That's a very good question. The answer, it's not a black and white answer. It kind of depends on the person's time, but it's, it's kind of measured to how much time you have. The more time you have, the more obligations you have, the, the more you're obligated. At a minimum, a person has to study once in the morning, once in the evening. To, to saying the, um, you know, saying chakras and all that, does that count? Yeah. The, the words of Shachris are, you know, there's a lot of different words from Torah, from Psalms, and from, from Chomish, and things like that. These all count. But, but, if, but if, you have, if you can do more than that... But praying is not studying. It's not, but you're articulating words of Torah. Okay, all right. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cheap way out. In the, in the Shema and the... Yeah, exactly. It's a cheap way out to say, I did my studying. Okay. It, it's, it's not, you know, we, we, we have to do more than that, but... But it's considered... Especially if you have it memorized and you're going through it really fast. And... Yeah, exactly. But it, it is, but at a, minimum, at a minimum, we have to have a set time to study in the morning and a set time to study in the evening. Um, if possible. If not, at least... I mean, look, do, we do what we can. A person has to have set times for study daily. Definitely. So I, I heard a... Um quote this week that the mitzvot are the matches that light the candle of the soul. Have you heard that, that one before? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It says it's from... So if you just study but you don't do the mitzvot, yeah, no, you true. might not have enough light there. Oh, for sure. For sure. And it actually says in the Talmud that anybody who says that all I have is Torah, he doesn't even have that. Because you need, at the end of the day, both aspects of the relationship. It's not enough just to be intimate with your spouse. You have to fulfill their desires, right? It's not enough just to have Torah. We have to have mitzvahs too. And it's not enough just to fulfill desires. It has to be intimate. There has to be um, both sides to the relationship. You know, just this past uh, Wednesday, a week ago, was the grand siyum hashas, the culmination of, of the, the cycle. cycle of studying Talmud. There's a Talmud. Seven, seven and a half years? Takes seven and a half years. You do a page a day. A page meaning both sides of the page a day. And you go through the entire Talmud for uh, seven and a half years. They just had the culmination, the celebration at MetLife Stadium on the East I Coast. The news, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, oh, that's what that was. It, it was an incredible, I wish I could have been there, but I just see, saw, you see pictures, 92,000 Jews. That's amazing. The seats were sold out. They had an overflow. They had a second celebration in Barclay Center, which is about a half hour, probably an hour away in Brooklyn at the basketball stadium there. And, all, uh, and they had these celebrations all over the world, but this was the, the, the largest. It was huge. And there's this one guy in LinkedIn. I enjoy LinkedIn. I just, I always feel like I learned something. Not always, often. 
Facebook, I get to see what people eat. <laughs> I get to see what people eat on Facebook. And on LinkedIn, I, get, I don't know, you learn ideas sometimes. And this one guy says that he was at the Siyum Hashas, he was at the celebration seven and a half years ago. He wasn't a celebrant, he was just there celebrating. He was inspired. And he says, God, I really want to do this, but I need a study partner. As he's praying to God for a study partner, because he wants to take this on for the next seven and a half years, he gets a text from one of his friends. The Dafyomi, the daily page, are you in? He says to his friend, yes, I'm in, on one condition. We can't miss one day. Can't miss a day. He says, I don't want to fall behind. It's gonna... and, and here's what he wrote. Okay, I don't have my phone. But he wrote, he made a list. He put together three weddings for his children. Three weddings. weddings. He, he had three kids that got married that year. He put together three bar mit six bar mitzvahs. I don't know if they were all in his family or maybe relatives. He had three funerals of relatives. He had several trips uh, to Israel within these, within these seven and a half years. He had dozens and dozens, you know, of, of friends' weddings or friends' kids' weddings that he attended. You know, living on the East Coast in a Jewish area, there's weddings every night. And he said, the list, you know, life catches up. And the list goes on and on and on. He says, seven and a half years, I'm celebrating. I haven't missed one day of his daily page. It's amazing. To him, Torah study consistency is it's just, there, there's a debate in the Midrash. Very interesting discussion in the Midrash. They say, what is the most, which verse in Torah encapsulates the entire, the whole of Judaism? And there's a three-way debate. Opinion number one, love your fellow as yourself. Opinion number two, and I forget the names of, of which rabbis are stating their opinion. So, please forgive me. Opinion number two, the Shema. Right? Reciting the oneness of God, that is the essence of Judaism. Opinion number three, a very random verse. One lamb you shall bring in the morning. One lamb you shall bring in the evening. That's the one. That's the one. That's the conclusion. They conclude like the third opinion. Why? Um, it's been so long, I'm probably going to get it wrong. But if, if my recollection serves, it has to do with... Um, the consistency of the sacrifice uh, in the morning and the evening and um, the commitment behind all of that. And now you can elaborate and make meaning of the, my words because that's about as far as I and can then take. You got it. You got it. The, the Korban Tamid, the consistent offering. Every day offerings, offerings varied according to the day. There's a special offering for Shabbos. There's an offering that's done specifically in Yom Kippur, specifically for Rosh Chodesh. But then there was one offering that was the same every single day, called the Korban Tamid, the constant offering. Every single morning, every single evening, which by the way corresponds to the daily shachwitz, to the daily mincha, every single day, day in, day out, they would bring that offering, nothing would change. And that verse encapsulates the whole of Judaism, consistency. This person did his page when there was a funeral. This person did his page when there was a wedding, when he had a flight. It didn't matter. He's going to do his studies. So let me, this kind of kind of related, but uh, mm -hmm. now I don't know which, what funerals 
he went to. But if, God forbid, it had been his father or mother. I thought that during the seven days of Shiva, you are not supposed to study Torah. Correct. Correct. That's a good question. So that how do you do that? Interrupted his cycle. That would have interrupted his cycle. Okay. So I, I imagine it wasn't one of those. Okay. But that that's a good question. I don't know. Good good point. So, so you mentioned about the um, the stadium that everybody gathered. I just want to show the Palo Alto um, chat. They posted uh, these photos. I saw that. that but was there was funny. no caption. And Wait, I, sh show that again. Like what? Show it again. There's no caption to these, and I thought... About a guy putting filling on like, someone? Is it Jew Jewish... And a um, where's Waldo? Heritage night at, at, the, <laughs> uh, at the baseball game, or football game, rather. That's funny. <laughs> okay, so... Um, can you... It, the cycle just started over, right? Yeah. Um, and is the whole world that wants to do the seven and a half year cycle on the same cycle or can you, we can really be anywhere in the cycle if you do a page a day you'll finish after yeah. seven and a half years yeah, the, you know the main thing is to study Torah but this is a very this is a specific cycle and everybody that's doing this daily study is doing of Talmud of Talmud is, yeah. is on that page is it considered um, participating in study if you hear a recording of that day's page mm-hmm and is, is that, there a seven and a half year recording? No. Yeah. Well, what, I'm, what, there I was, is. what I was getting at is if you go to Chabad.org, there's recordings for lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah. These, these are all the tourists. The day is there. Yeah. And the, you can You know, there's an app. Participate. There's apps for it also. You can find this stuff all. Yeah, it's all, it's all there for sure. The page of the day is on the Chabad site. I'm asking. I don't know. I don't know if it's on the Chabad site. It's definitely online. Okay. And like, if you want, I can find you some resources. Yeah. There, you know, another daily study program that the Rebbe instituted was the daily study of Rambam, of the Maimonides Compendium. And it's a little bit easier than the daily page of Talmud because it's more organized laws. And the Rebbe set out two different tracks for there's the advanced track, three chapters a day of Maimonides. How many? Three. Hmm. You do three chapters a day and you finish the entire 14 volume covering the entire area of Jewish law in 11 months or you do one chapter a day and you finish in about three years and is that online too? that's online what's it called? the daily Rambam the daily Rambam yeah huh. and it's it's much easier than the page a day um, in, in what way? well to study an entire page of Talmud is, is challenging it's a, it's a real challenge to study a chapter of Rambam, it's it's different. You're reading laws rather than discussions of the laws. In, in the middle of Kislev, did we finish a cycle that was, was that a cycle of Tanya? Yeah. There's a, daily, there's a lot of daily cycles. There's a cycle of Tanya. There's the cycle of the Chumash, reading the daily Parsha, the daily portion. There's a lot of good options out there. We're on the 10-year Tanya. Uh, <laughs> this so is the end of Tanya. What? Tanya, the cycle, normal cycle is one year, right? The, the cycle of Tanya is one year, yeah. yeah. Well, we're not doing the cycle. We're doing our own, our own thing. We're doing our, our own, own cycle. Our own cycle, our this, own speed. This is the Tri-Valley tri cycle. That's exactly right. <laughs>
Um, but so, but the point is Torah study. What, no matter what it is, we have to have a set time for Torah study daily, a set time to be intimate with God, intimate with our Judaism, not just doing Judaism, which is the mitzvahs, but actually being Judaism, which is through the Torah. The Alter Rebbe in Tanya says, when we do this. The, the, the way, just to illustrate the connection of God that we, with God that we, we develop. If we remember, if we reflect back to chapter, I believe 20 and 21, we gave the analogy of speech, the difference between words and the ability to articulate words. Hmm. Right? And then, Pre-linguistic, I think they use the term. Oh, there's a term for it. Pre- Pre-linguistic. Pre-linguistic, okay. So you have a, a word, words are valuable, words are strong, words can be very hurtful, words can be very empowering, but the value of that word in its pre-linguistic state, did I get it right, mm -hmm. is negligible because you have the ability to produce words to no end or compare a word to an emotion. An emotion is far, uh, an emotion deems those words irrelevant, right? Smiling has no language. Smiling is universal because the emotion that it, that it um, relays is deeper than words, deems the words negligible and irrelevant. And so, right, your words are developed through emotion and therefore compare a word to your ability to produce words, right? It's like having $100 or a machine that produces money, which deems the $100 irrelevant. Now, to God, God created the world with speech. Now, we, not to say that the world is irrelevant to him, but to say that the world is absorbed within him. Because to him, now to us, there's a difference. There's no such thing as pre-linguistic and post-linguistic with God. To him, it's all the same. Before and after, nothing's really changed. So the connection to the world, that the world has with him, it is him. It's a piece of him. And that's the, that's the relationship we reveal. That's the relationship we open up when we study Torah. It's a very deep connection. If we reflect back to chapter 5 of Tanya, Chapter 5 of Tanya spoke a lot about these concepts, about connecting to God through Torah study. And over there he gave the analogy of food versus clothing. A mitzvah is like clothing. It engulfs you, it encompasses you. You're wearing it, right? It's like the body to the soul. But Torah doesn't just engulf you or invest you around, envelope you, if you will. It's food. It energizes you. Food for the soul. Food for the soul, right? It's not just a. Um, it's not just something you're doing. It becomes part of who you are, right? Your clothing aren't who you are. Your clothing is what you wear, what you choose to wear. Torah becomes part of who you are when you eat something, right? We eat these black and white cookies. It becomes part of our blood. It becomes part of our flesh. It becomes us. 
right? A moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips, right? Well, you're not telling me that twice. <laughs> if Torah was that easy, we'd all be. If Torah was that easy, yeah, exactly. So there's actually a great story. There was a, a Hasidic, there was a Hasid not too long ago. His name was Reb Lazer. And he was very sick, he was ill. And for whatever reason, he wasn't able to eat whatever he wanted. He had a very restricted diet, and he was only able to eat a, a very restricted amount of bread and some milk. That's what his doctor told him. This might have been back in Russia. Who knows what these doctors are? <laughs> he could only have bread, though, and a, a very restricted amount of bread, a restricted amount of milk, and that would be that would give him the nutrients he needed. Reb Mendel Futterfas, another famous personality, Chassid, checked in on him. He said, brother, how you doing? How you feeling? He says, I'm doing great. I just only wish my spirituality was doing as well as my physicality. I wish I was doing spiritually, as good spiritually as I am physically. He says, what are you talking about? You're ill. You're sick. He says, no, no, no. A little bit of bread, a little bit of milk. That limited measurement gives me the nutrients I need, gives me the energy I need. It becomes part of my flesh and blood. I wish a little bit of Torah would have an impact. Just a little bit of Torah. It has an impact on us, but we'll soon see why we don't relate to it always. But he says, I wish I would relate to the impact that little bit of Torah that I learned would have on me. Going back to the idea that Torah is a is intimacy with God, is really being one with God, not just instruction, not just ideas. When the Altar Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, was developing his journey in Hasidicism, didn't start off as part of the Hasidic group, he wasn't born into it. Most people were not back then, because it was relatively new. And he had a choice. He could go, he had, he had a choice where he can study. He can go to the Magid of Mezrich, the successor to the Baal Shem Tov, who ended up being the Alter Rebbe, the author of Tanya's teacher. Or he could go to the Gaon of Vilna, the Vilna Gaon who became a great opposer, uh, opposer of Hasidus, which we spoke about before, the Altar about a relationship with him, and another story for another time. And he had a choice, who should he go to study? Great, two great luminaries. And he chose the Magid of Mezrich, chose the Hasidic path. And on his way back, when he came back, all inspired, all energized, they said, look, you came to study. Why did you have to go there to study? You wasted so much time. <laughs> Vilna is much closer. It will take less time away from your studies to go to Vilna. You know, with the travel time and stuff, you'll be able to study more Torah, more, you'll get the quantity, you're the, the, the quantity in more in Vilna than were you to go to Liyajna where the Magid was. Why waste all that time? Why go through the whole bother of traveling? you know, horse and buggy. And he said, look, in Vilna, I'm going to, they're going to teach me how to study Torah. In Liyajna, by the Magid, they're going to teach me how the Torah enriches my life. How the Torah is not just instruction and this is how you learn it, 
but it actually is learning me. It's actually part of me. It's actually a relationship with God. I'm going to learn the relationship side with Judaism, which is what Chassidus is, which is what he needed. Somebody once came to the Katsker Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Katsk. He lived in, I think, in the late 1800s. And he completed the entire Talmud, this, this guy. Went to his Rebbe and he said, I completed, I went through the entire Talmud. And Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Katz was not a no free smiles kind of guy, not, it was very sharp. He says, you, you went through the whole Talmud? He says, yeah. He says, did the Talmud go through you? <laughs> <laughs> is it something you studied, but is it who you are? Torah becomes part of who you are. And that's why, by the way, according to Halacha, one is supposed to stand and rise for a Talmud for, for, for a Torah scholar. Why is he have to study for rise for a Torah scholar? It's not the scholar that he's respecting, but it's the Torah that he has that became part of him, became part of who he was, who he is. Okay. The, the, the first story we were saying you, you chose between the Gideon and the Magi, who were you talking about? The, the Alter Rebbe. It was the Alter Rebbe. Okay. So we're studying Torah. We're committed. We're putting time into it. We're enriching our lives. We're developing this deep connection to God. We're not just doing what He wants. We're actually bonding with Him. We're not just respecting God. We're being intimate with Him. Why don't we experience this intimacy? Right? When we eat food, we eat chips, a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. But how come with Torah, a moment on the lips, we don't have that same impact? Why don't we feel the impact? The shell. There's this shell around us, right? There's the klippa. And the reality is, although we have souls, what do we relate to more? We relate to more, we relate to our bodies much better, much more. Uh, when Tanya first introduces the, the, the two souls, Back in chapter 1 and 2, first he introduces the animal soul, then the godly soul. Because which one are we more used to? Which one is our life perspective? The animal soul. Nothing to be ashamed about. It's very normal. And that's why the goal of Tanya is not to be a tzaddik, but to be a benini. Not somebody who internalizes the, the, the godly soul, but somebody who at least is influenced behaviorally by the godly soul. But the way he words it here, let's take a look on page 266. Um, the third paragraph, uh, third paragraph 266. Why then do our souls simply not expire when we read a Torah text? Or at least get inspired when we read a Torah text. Why is it just like any other text? So the Talmud says, even though they did not see the vision, the mazal... Basically, their souls saw the vision. Even though, our, even though we don't experience this connection, the connection is there. We don't experience it, but our souls do. Which itself is a very, is very powerful. Um, there, let's take a look. So, question on that. Yeah. So, you know, part of this reading leads, to, you know, leads to an understanding like if, if, well, okay, on the, on the one hand, our, our most intimate connection with Hashem is while we're studying Torah. 
And, and when I think of an, an analogy that makes sense to me, it's kind of like, okay, um, during that time, my mind is all receptors. Like I'm, I'm completely open um, to, 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 to God's wisdom, God's uh, teachings. I'm just 100% open. Okay, so, so in that state, you're, you would be most vulnerable to um, being overwhelmed by God's infinite, with, infinite, infinite light right? during the state of openness. Um, but then here it started talking about, well, you're, you're still protected because um, you're subconsciously open, but you're not consciously open. And, and, and I kind of struggled with what, with what that was really trying to tell me here. That's interesting. In other words, what happened to the intimacy if we're not really feeling intimate? Right, because if you're not consciously engaged, then it's almost like, well, but I'm not really there. I'm there, but I'm not there kind of thing, right? So I kind of struggled with how to make sense of, of that. Great question. That's a very good question. Beautiful question. Let me, let me put, not an answer, but when you have trouble with your wife, a lot of counselors say, treat, and you, I don't know, like we've fallen out of love, or um, we're not close anymore. Counselors say, treat your wife like you love her, and eventually you will love her again. Fake it till you make it. You what? Fake it till you make it. Right. Kind of thing. Right. And, and it works. I mean, it works for that, and it works for all kinds of psychological things. You you go through the motions, and then on, on the other hand, follows, being physically present during intimate when when one is intimate with God. You know, I'm studying, but but not emotionally present. It's not a good feeling. But you're saying it will lead to being there. It, it, it will lead to that. Right? It will lead to that. Behavior does does lead to that. Part of the problem, part of the challenge, is just the condition that we're in Gullus. What's the condition? The fact that we're in exile. Oh. The fact that we're in exile. The first verse of, of Eicha. I don't know how to say it in English. Eicha is the Megillah that we read on Tisha B'Av. Is last disease? Is that it? Ecclesiastics? One more time? Ecclesiastics. Ecclesiastics, okay. I always see Eichav, and then I see some big jum- mumbo-jumbo. <laughs> okay. The first verse of Eichav. Eichav yashva badad. How does she reside alone, referring to God, or referring to the city of Jerusalem, different interpretations? Haisak almana. She is like a widow. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The base of Mikdash is desolate. The divine presence, which was being housed in the temple, has left. And now we're comparing God to like to, to a widow. The open relationship we had with him, that we once had, it's not there. But as the Rebbe points out, it says, Ki almana. Like a widow, God is not a widow, he's not gone. He's there. The relationship is there. The experience is there. And by the way, one of the reasons why fake it till you make it works is because you're not really faking it. The experience, is, the connection is there. I'm not trying to build a connection through faking. You just can't. The connection's there, 
I'm just trying to experience it through behaving. You know, it's very often Chabad Rabbi will go out and meet a Jew and say, hey, would you like to put on tefillin? No, thank you. Well, why not? It's not meaningful to me. I'm not in the mood. I'm not... Okay. I didn't ask you how you're feeling. I asked you if you'd like to put on tefillin. <laughs> let's, put on, well, let's put on the tefillin. The feelings will come. But the reason why is because we have that soul. We have that connection. It's there. We're just trying to draw out something that's already there. Now, in Galos, when God is like this widow that has... We, we lost this open connection. We can't experience it to its fullest extent. We can be inspired once in a while. We can experience the soul on some level. But to experience it in a deep, normal level, not only do we not experience it, but as you pointed out in our text, the fact that we don't see it is how we can still not lose our existence, right? Later on in Tanya, chapter 36. Hmm? So the question was, why do we do it even if we don't feel it? Was that the, was that the question right here, or was it? Well, what we're why then do our souls not simply expire when we read the Torah text? Right, because it's respectively that you know we we cannot be completely exposed to to God's infinite light. We need some amount of diminishment for us to continue to exist from our perspective. From God's perspective, it's all... It's all there. All there. But from our perspective... So, so it's... it's, it's um, so it's, it's almost like a... Uh, for, for, for me, I, I'm... I'm, uh, I'm missing one piece of this uh, understanding in that. In that, like... Okay, our, our, our deepest, most intimate connection with Hashem is when we study Torah. But even, even in that moment there's still diminishment involved so that we can continue to exist. So we're not really experiencing, which we're lacking this experience. Right. So, so when Mashiach comes, and we're going to elaborate this more when we get to chapter 36 and 37, we're going to actually not just have the revelation to connect, not just have the connection, but there's actually, we're actually going to be able to experience it as well. At that point, the world will be ready. But so, 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 this is the this is the most we can hope for for now. Is is studying this, studying Torah is as deep a connection as we can have at this time. That's the deepest connection. But in terms of the experience, the experience will be limited. Right. Because we need to exist. Right. When Mashiach comes, and let's take a, actually let's take a look. Let's jump to page four hundred five. So he starts off saying, sorry, four, uh, 407. We'll read soon on the bottom, the last paragraph. He starts off saying that this revelation that we want to experience through Torah study and when Mashiach comes actually happened once in Jewish history. Or in history. <laughs> Even non-Jewish history, it happened. When did God reveal himself? 
At Sinai. At Sinai. Getting out of tech. Right? The first two commandments. The first two commandments at Mount Sinai, right? Yeah. And everybody died, right? We couldn't handle it. We couldn't handle the truth, right? Everybody died. God had to revive us. And then we said to Moses, please tell God, keep his commandments (laughs) between you and him. (laughs) Keep the commandments between you and him. And Moses said, okay. And Moses delivered the rest of the eight commandments through God because we couldn't handle it. This revelation took place. The experience took place. We couldn't handle the experience. When will we be able to handle the experience? At the bottom of page 407, until the time of the end of days, referring to the coming of the Mashiach. For then, the sensuality of the body and the world will have been spiritually refined, making it possible to receive the disclosure of God's light, which will shine to Israel. And this will be made possible through the Torah, which is referred to by Scripture as strength, since it gives us the power to withstand unfiltered revelation. Torah and mitzvahs will not only bring Mashiach, Mashiach will bring a real appreciation of Torah and mitzvahs. And no more diminishment will be, will be necessary. Won't be necessary. And that's through refine. I mean, because the world will be purified and refined. Now, how do we, there's a cycle. How do we refine the world to bring Mashiach through Torah and mitzvahs? What does that accomplish? An appreciation of Torah and mitzvahs. Because now we can experience, have the full experience without any diminishment. You know, this, this is all, you know, when, when, when you, um, we, we, we seem to um, feel, uh, well, feel is not the right word. Um, there's the struggle between like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. what we have is, is wonderful, but we want, but we want more, right? Let's study Torah so we can have that deepest connection possible. But then, okay, now Moshiach, when he comes, when, when Moshiach comes, then we'll no longer be able to perform Torah and mitzvahs, but that's really... Uh, no, we will be. Why not? Well, uh, we won't have a body. I mean, uh, we, yeah, we will. Uh, the, whole, the whole, you're saying dying and going to heaven, but the whole coming of Moshiach is, is a... The whole purpose of why God created the world to bring Mashiach is, is in body, in world. I'm sorry, I was thinking before Mashiach comes. Yeah. Because then at that point, we don't have a... You're, you're talking about when a person dies and goes to heaven, but right. that's temporary. Yes, that, yes, yes, but yes, the yes, ultimate right. is the coming of Mashiach, which yes, is an in body, that's, that's right. okay. yeah. in, in soul connection. Yeah. Now we're not that far away. Just from, a from, years, right? from a sheikh's coming? No, any moment. Any moment. But there's this like this, there's a 6,000 year number, right? There, there, there's a point where he's certain to come. That he will for sure come at that point. But as but we believe he's going to come, and Maimonides says that a person is obligated to believe that any moment Mashiach's going to come. And it's, it's our job through the Torah and mitzvahs, to make God's presence more available to this world, to refine the world, to bring Mashiach, to get the world ready for which is why we exist, by the way. To get the world ready. To get the world ready. Now, the chapter ends off with a, a thought, a meditation. Probably informally, but... Page 267, I think. 
No, I don't know why I said two. Yeah, sorry, I'm on the wrong page. Um, page 267. If you are wise, in the middle of the page, if you are wise, you can make use of this idea to become inspired with a great sense of reverence as you study Torah. Right? Thinking about these ideas, meditating, on, and, and it's more, it's kind of like a side point, because we're actually leading to a greater idea, which will tie all this in chapter 24 and 25. But as a side point, imagine before we study Torah thinking about the connection that Torah builds. Imagine how enriched our Torah study will be. One of the reasons, by the way, on a side note, it's a related idea of it that I forgot to mention. The Torah starts with the letter Bet. So as opposed, you know, once you're starting with the letter Bet, why not start with Aleph? Start from the, the, the very beginning, right? The very best place to start. And the, the commentaries have a lot of discussion on this. A lot of... Some offer the explanation that Aleph stands for Arur, curse. Bet stands for Bracha. It's not the most satisfying answer because there's negative words that start with a Bet. There's positive words that start with an Aleph. So it's, 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 a, it's a cheesy answer. So it's interesting you said um, Bracha because I immediately thought of Rashid. No, but that's the question. Why does the Torah start, Torah start with Bereshit, which is a bet? Yeah. The Torah should have chosen a word that starts with Aleph. Since it's the beginning of the Torah, start with the first letter. Right? Okay. So some say that word to start with an Aleph, Aleph can, be an, can, can stand for the word Aror, which means curse. Whereas curse. bet can stand for Bracha, blessing. It's not the most satisfying answer. Because Aror, Aleph can also mean or, light, or Echad, one. Bet can have positive and other negative connotations as well. One of the answers that the Rebbe offered, which is very in line with what we're teaching here, the actual reading of the text is Bet. Bet is numer numerical value of two. The actual reading of the text is step two. Step one, Aleph, before reading the text, is knowing what this text is. It's a manifestation of, in a relationship with God. Not just what the words are, but who is saying it, right? Whenever anybody says anything to us, we don't just focus on what you said, but who is it coming from, right? As they say, answer the person, not the question, right? When God gives us the Torah, Reflecting on this idea in Tanya, that this is a manifestation, this is a revelation of Him. It's not just mere words and ideas, but it's intimacy with Him. Imagine how our Torah study experience will be when we're deeply engrossed and involved in our studies. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Good story. Is the advice to... Meditate on what you're going to say before you start, or what, what you're going to meditate on 